This is Seeing Red, the New York Soccer Roundup on New York Red Bulls Radio at TuneIn, Backheel.com, iTunes, and Stitcher. Here are your hosts, Mark Fishkin and Eric Giacometti. The New York Red Bulls won a football match by scoring three. No, actually, they scored four goals on Sunday night at Red Bull Arena. One of them went in their own net, but that's okay because New York took home a 3-2 victory, a very well deserved and very well needed victory tonight on seeing red we will talk about that victory we'll prepare for fc dallas coming into red bull arena friday night the first of three straight viernes to football matches that the red bulls will face we're going to talk to one of the heroes from sunday night's game that's midfielder mike grella during our interview and we have a new segment during the interview, Rapid Fire makes its Seeing Red debut, and then we've got your emails. I'm Mark Fishkin, joined, as always, by Eric Giacometti. How are you tonight, Eric? Listen, you can save your praise, you can hold the applause, the reverse jinx worked its magic. <laughs> I, I, know, I know that it basically all comes down to me, but I am no hero, I am but a man. It's really all you are. I mean, some might say it's supernatural, some might say it's written in the stars, but I think picking against the Red Bulls was clearly one of the defining factors in them coming away with their first win in a month. Uh, the New York Red Bulls went into halftime down yet again. In fact, they, they were down before the, get, the match was three minutes old on Orlando's, what may have been Orlando's only shot of the first half, which was all but a tap-in by Kyle Lahren, who loves to play the Red Bulls, and it was so early that I don't think that everyone truly, A, either even realized what was going on, but B, it was almost too early for the heads to start hanging because there were 87 minutes to go. But still, Eric, you had to think, this is, here we go again. Yeah, here we go again is exactly right. That's, I mean, you, you look around, whether it was the press box, you look at the stands, look at the players, you said, well, here comes another, uh, another early goal, one chance, one goal, and it was more of the same. And it's funny, after the match, uh, a reporter asked the Orlando's coach, Adrian Heath, maybe you scored too early. He goes, I, I don't know, I'd rather, I, I'll take that any day of the week. Uh, <laughs> we probably should have just done better to hold on. But that being said, uh, the fact that they did score so early gave the Red Bulls plenty of time to regroup, uh, find their form. Even though they did go down uh, 1-0 going into the half, they were able to come out of the half and, and you know, Really, I don't want to say reclaim their season, but the fact that they were able to get this win uh, is a testament to the fact that they're they're grinding out results. It wasn't the prettiest game. It wasn't their best performance, but they created enough chances. And this time, they managed to get uh, to get the one goal. And then it seemed like kind of an avalanche where one goal, two goal, three goals, all in quick succession. And that's kind of what a lot of people predicted, that once they see the ball hit the back of the net just once, especially being at home, that uh, you know the floodgates would open. And that's what we saw on Sunday. No, it was fantastic to see, and not just the three goals in quick succession, but New York outshot Orlando 25-11 to and 10-3 to on target. They outpassed them in the final third 201-71. to So the, the, the thing that obviously New York goes down a goal, they're going into halftime. Our guest tonight, Mike Grella, had a phenomenal, phenomenal uh, flying scissor shot that was saved very well um, by Joe Bendick. They go in, and as you said, the, absolutely the floodgates open. Three goals in ten minutes. Um, you can't say enough about the play of Sasha Kleschen, distributing the ball super well, creating uh, Grella's opening opportunity with a nutmeg pass 
through the defense, um, assisting as well on the last goal from Bradley. We got to see Lloyd Sam get into the mix. He was busy all night long delivering quality balls in, had a great assist to Bradley. And, and frankly, Bradley is a huge part of the story because... I mean, if there was ever a night for a little Eminem, guess who's back, back again? Bradley Wright Phillips with two goals. I don't know if he needed to touch the first one, but nevertheless, he made sure that went in the net. And then almost a typical Bradley Wright Phillips goal, um, streaming across the face of goal and tapping in um, a Lloyd Sam shot. It was like old times at Red Bull Arena. Yeah, especially that second goal. It really feels like something we've seen a hundred times before where Lloyd Sam down the right wing, crossing it down into the middle and a it couldn't be an easier finish for Brad, but really the whole front four, uh, when you look at Lloyd Sam, Bradley Wright Phillips, Sasha Kleschen, Mike Grella, they were all outstanding on the night, I thought. They created a lot of chances, but the fact of the matter is they finally finished off those chances. And, and Jesse Marr said after the match that it was the best performance for all four of them of the season. So it's a testament to to you know how hard they're working and training and the fact that it came together. It, it, would re- it was really nice to see, especially for Brad, who's been... You know, struggling mightily, and and he's been in the crosshairs. He's been the guy that a lot of people are pointing out as maybe the the linchpin to their success. And him not scoring, uh, you know, with what seven eight games into the season, uh, it was a bit concerning for a guy that scored forty four goals over two seasons. But you know, when you look at that goal tally, he didn't forget how to score goals, guys. So this was nope. going to come. Obviously, it, it came a little bit later than people would have imagined. But I think now that you've seen him get one, get two. Uh, we, we might see the Brad of old where while he's still getting this, into those positions that allow him to be successful, I think he'll start converting more often than not. Yeah, absolutely. A huge monkey off Bradley's back. Bradley now actually up to second place in the all-time all-competition scoring list for the franchise. Uh, hip-hopping, hip-hopping, hopping over Thierry Henry's 52 goals. Bradley now 53 in all competitions, including playoffs. Only one Pablo Angel in front of him with 62 goals. Uh, all-time, all-competitions. And then in the league, Bradley's up to uh, 47. Henri, 51. And Juan Pablo Angel, the all-time record, 58. And with a couple of more nights like that, and we certainly were signaling it in the preseason, uh, Bradley could get there this year without a doubt. So we can't talk about the game, though, unless we talk about that call. And that call has almost really turned into two calls when you consider that Joe Bendick took the ball, uh, had it wasn't a goal kick, and he basically blasted it past everyone. I think I saw this same play in my daughter's U10 match uh, over the weekend where the goalie just blasts the ball in hopes that a striker can run onto it. Kyle Lahren collects the ball. He's beaten Carl. We met. We met. Takes him down. Really making contact twice. Uh, everyone goes crazy. And then we learned today that Lahren was offside when Bendick delivered the ball. So you have Pro, who has been in a ton of controversy this season, missing goal, missing uh, penalties. Um, Get, getting offsides calls wrong all season long, and they really messed up twice. First, the linesman messed up, not calling Laren offside, and then uh, the referee, Hilaria Grajeda, not calling what should have been denial of an obvious goal-scoring opportunity just outside the box, first contact's made, uh, Laren. And 
you know, say what you want. It's a turning point of the game. Uh, if you call it, if you call it a penalty, if you remove a player, it's a massive, massive uh, advantage for Orlando, who had not yet conceded. And I mean, is New York just happy to g- finally get a break? Because it seems like every one of these calls has gone against New York all season. Yeah, I mean, the old adage is that these things tend to even themselves out over the course of the season. I don't know how much validity there is to that. Maybe you know. Rest in peace, Dan Dickinson, can, our stat guru, can maybe figure that out one of these days. But we, uh, we, we, our <laughs> stat guru. <laughs> <laughs> That's Dan, our stat guru. We miss you, yeah, we miss you, please Dan. continue. We miss you, Dan. But uh, Adrian Heath was really, uh, really letting the refs have it and going after pro. And uh, I think he might get uh, a nice hefty fine in the mail this week because he was really going in, telling, uh, telling the media that he'd actually gotten a call midweek about uh, from the head of pro, Peter Walton, saying, hey, we're sorry, we blew this call. And he says it felt a little bit hollow because these things just continually keep happening to them. And it's not just to Orlando, it's happening throughout the league. And as you mentioned, on that one play that kind of has been the talking point from Sunday's win, uh, they, they missed the Laren offside, and we met certainly should have been sent off. Uh, he made a, you know, you, you can argue whether he was put in that position because Laren was offside, but, you know, they missed that one call. Grajeda should have at least made the right call and, and, and sent Carl off. If that happens, it's a completely different game, but, you know, it is what it is. They, they didn't send him off. They played with 11 v 11, and the Red Bulls got the win. So I, I don't think they'll be, uh, they'll be complaining too much. They'll take the win any way they can take it. So, hey, what are you going to do? That's pro, right? <laughs> That's that's pro soccer right there for you. So, uh, I mean, obviously it was a turning point. Obviously New York got a break or, you know, perhaps it shouldn't have happened at all. But nevertheless, uh, New York will take it. And when you're struggling like the Red Bulls are struggling, you just smile and say thank you very much. As uh, as annoyed as a lot of the Orlando fans are. And believe me, they're annoyed. Okay, so let's wrap this up. Bull and cow. Who is your bull on a night when Bradley gets two goals? He and Kleshen are named to uh, the MLS Team of the Week, and Mike Grella is uh, significantly high up on the Audi index of players. I think he was top 15 in the league this weekend. Yeah, it's funny. We, we usually don't have a, a dearth of so many people to choose from because there's often been a lot of bad results, but mm-hmm. this time we have a lot of people to choose from, but I'm going to go with Sasha Kleshen. Uh, he wasn't the man of the match I, on the video board at the end of the day. I think Bradley got that one, uh, but he was pulling the strings left and right, and, you know, he was able to find these pockets in between the midfielders and the defense through Orlando. And I think especially that first goal, where they're still down, they're still fighting to get the equalizer. The composure that he has to dribble in the face of two defenders, draw the right back out of position, leave Grella alone, and then that first time finish, which was, you know, definitely took some doing, so credit to Grella. Mm-hmm. But, but that play, I think, really personified Sasha's night, where he had the composure to pick up his head, make the right decision. He did it constantly all night, spraying balls to the wings, finding Bradley with regularity. So I think he really spearheaded the Red Bulls attack and, and kind of personified how this attack is changing and maybe starting to click in moving forward uh, as we look through the season. Yeah, not a bad choice. I'm going to give mine to Bradley when you, uh, I mean, Bradley is leading the league in shots on goal this season. Leading the league in shots on goal, he finally is able to convert not once but twice. And when Bradley is scoring, New York will certainly have a massive advantage. And you could certainly tell watching videos uh, from the locker room, Eric, and you tell me he just seemed 
lighter as a human being, right? He was animated, he was excited, he was very, very relieved, and Red Bull fans were as well. So Sasha or Bradley, well done. Um, For me, for Cow, and... um, we certainly didn't talk yet about the pregame show where, or the pregame ceremonies when all the players or most of the players came out wearing Metro Stars gear, which for old school fans like me was absolutely terrific. Um, Fox Sports One putting kickoff at 7:48 on a Sunday certainly depressed attendance, and you could certainly see the fans leaving the stadium on the early side. Uh, You could also give some cows to the Orlando players, three yellow cards in the waning minutes of the game um, uh, for unsportsmanlike fouls all over the field. They had felt done in by the ref, and they were taking it out on the Red Bulls. you could take it out on empty seats. I, I don't know. I'm going to give mine to Fox Sports. You know, there's no reason, I've said it, there's no reason that a game on a shun- Sunday night should start that late on the East Coast. There's no reason. Why not flip the, the timing of the two matches that day and let the Fox Sports uh, match play at, uh, at 6 o'clock or 5.30 and let ESPN have the late game, which I believe was in San Jose. Makes absolutely no sense that the West Coast game is played before the East Coast game. So I'm going to give mine to uh, to TV scheduling. Cow of the week. Also, speaking of TV scheduling, as I had mentioned at the top of the show, the New York Red Bulls play their first of three straight Friday night matches this Friday night starting Red Bull Arena. It's a tough 7 p.m. start. We talk about a late start on a Sunday night. 7 p.m. in the New York area uh, at Red Bull Arena is tough as well, especially when you're talking about people maybe bringing families, have to go home first, collect their family, and then bring them to the arena. Uh, And, oh, by the way, the opponent is FC Dallas, and they are sitting on top of the league with 17 points. They're 5-2-2. They've scored 15 goals, second in the league, and conceded 13, which is a lot more goals than Dallas is used to conceding. They are fourth worst in MLS, and the Red Bulls are the worst right now. Uh, Who are the players to take note of? Michael Barrios, four goals already on the season, leads the team. He's more than halfway to last season's uh, take for him of seven. Tesho Akindeli, still going strong on this team, three goals and two assists. Max Arruti came over from Portland, three goals and two assists for him. Fabian Castillo, two and two, and Mauro Diaz, who returned last week after missing four games with a hamstring injury, one goal and four assists. The last time out... Dallas was smoked 3-0 last weekend, last Saturday, at Vancouver, snapping a 4-0-2 run by the Western Conference regular season champs last season. Um, last week, they played a 4-4-2 with Akindeli, who's finally moved into his starting role, up top with Arudi, uh, Figueroa, Zimmerman, Zach Lloyd, and um, Harris in the back, Chris Seitz, one-time U.S. national team U-20 goalkeeper. Uh, Chris Seitz put together a very nice long career in MLS, is the current starting goalie. Dallas on the road is 2-2. Two and two. They're either really good or really bad. They have wins 3-0 at DCU. <laughs> they won 3-1 at Portland, who's obviously having a very challenging start to the season. Then they got drilled, the aforementioned match last week, uh, 0-3 at Vancouver. And earlier this year, they got drilled in Houston in the rivalry game 5 Nil 
to get, put their stranglehold on El Capitan in a very, very precarious position. So Dallas is coming off a loss. Uh, they're going to certainly be steamed. They're, they're coming on a short week. Obviously, New York has a short week and well. And they're good and they're young and they have a lot of speed. The two teams played to a, a very spirited scoreless draw last season in Dallas. So, Eric, I'm, I'm very, very curious what your thoughts are on what we might see Friday night at Red Bull Arena in New York and Dallas. I think you're going to see a lot of attacking firepower. I mean, that's kind of what defines this FC Dallas team, and it has for, I think, quite some time. I mean, look, this is a team that, if not for you know a stellar goal differential that the Red Bulls had in 2015, they'd be lifting the supporter shield. So this is a very formidable team. They've got plenty of attacking talent. Obviously, you look at uh, former Rookie of the Year, Tesha Bacandelli, up top. Fabian Castillo, who's gotten caps with Colombia, so that's uh, no small peanuts there. Mauro Diaz, I mean, you look throughout this lineup, they've got plenty of attacking talent. Ma- Mauro Rosales as well. So this is going to be a-, a big test for a Red Bulls defense, as we've. It kind of seems like it's this way every week. You know, they- I think they caught a little bit of a break against Orlando with missing on a Cacasso. That that didn't really pan out the way we might have thought, but this is a team that will be coming into Red Bull Arena with something to prove. Uh, they've had a couple of rough results, but make no mistake, this team can pack a punch, so the Red Bulls will have to be on their toes. Can we expect a disco suspension of Carl Wiemet by the disciplinary committee? I, I don't really know. I, I, I don't believe so. Uh, if, if they go back and change it, I would be surprised. Uh, Do you, I wonder if, the, given the notion that that Lyron was offside, if that somehow would prevent we met from being called. But the question begs to be asked, and we talk about it every week: uh, What is the status, as you know it, of injured players Ba and Verone, and and might we see them on Friday night? Uh, well, I haven't got a chance to get back to training, so I don't have an updated status report. But if if the latest ones are anything to go by, uh, I believe Gideon Ba would be the closer of the two to coming back. Uh, they, they were both listed as day-to-day, which is something that Jesse's gone back to continually. But I, I do think that, uh, you know, I, I don't know if it would necessarily be pushing it, but Gideon could be someone that, that features maybe off the bench. Uh, I don't want to speak for him. I'll, I'll wait till I get sure. the official word. Okay. But I, I think Gideon might be someone that, that could be closer to getting ready. Verone is still, I think, a little bit, uh, a little bit farther away. But you know, e- either way, any kind of reinforcements they can get will be a welcome addition to this team. Yeah, for sure. Uh, we met obviously had a better first half than he did his second. When you consider both uh, the the uh, play against Laren and then of course uh, the own goal late in the game, which tightened things up. And I think, you know, as we wait for Damian Perinel to continue to get healthy enough to to rejoin the team, um, I, I think most fans would be looking forward to Ba uh, returning to the starting lineup. So that said, New York and Dallas. New York's on a high. Dallas is on a low. New York uh, second home game in six days, which is certainly a little strange and not ideal, but I'm just curious as to your prediction, since you did so badly last week in your prediction, Eric, what what should we hope to see? What do you think is going to happen Friday night, 7 p.m. at Red Bull Arena? Well, we have to be careful because we can only invoke the reverse jinx but so many times. So... What, what are you going to save what it? I, what I believe will happen is a two-two draw, as I alluded to. Uh, you know, the attacking talent that FC Dallas possesses. I think the Red Bulls maybe they've got a spark now. They've, they've got a little bit of momentum on, on the offensive third. They're starting to finish some chances. So, you know, may, maybe a two-two draw. It, it seems fitting to me. Yeah. All right. I'm going to call it. I I I wish I could tell you that after 
the exhibition that the Red Bulls put on that everything's going to be sunshine and moonbeams. I think this Dallas team coming off a loss is going to be very upset. Also consider the team will basically have gone Dallas, Vancouver, back to Dallas, and then to New York. It's a lot of travel in a short period of time. They're obviously on a short week as well. Uh, I don't know. I see this maybe 2-1 for Dallas. I think Dallas has uh, a lot of good young talent, a lot of attacking talent, and I think you're going to see it. I, I And I don't think that it's going to be a performance by New York that people are going to necessarily be upset about. I think Dallas is just uh, a class, and I think New York may need a couple more weeks, and perhaps the return of Verone to the field to really kind of ramp up to put a sustainable run together. So when we're back on Seeing Red, we're going to speak to Mike Grella, midfielder of the New York Red Bulls. He's coming up in just a second. You're listening to Seeing Red. Mike Grella is our guest this week, Seeing Red, the New York Soccer Roundup. Mike has two of New York's seven goals this season and was instrumental in New York's 3-2 win on Sunday night against Orlando. His goal sparked a comeback in the match New York desperately needed, and in 48 appearances for the Red Bulls in now one-plus seasons, uh, Mike has 12 goals. Mike Grella, welcome back to Seeing Red. How are you tonight? Very good, very good. How are you guys? We're good. We're, we're glad you were able to join us. Um, the team headed into the locker room at halftime, down a goal once again at the break. Talk to us. What was what was Jesse's halftime talk like? Yeah, I mean, uh, it's probably a lot of people probably wouldn't be able to guess it. Um, he was really composed and really was adamant that uh, we, you know, that we shouldn't get frustrated and should just kind of keep plugging away, which was sort of it sort of been the message from. Uh, you know, from the early days, you know, it's been just keep plugging away, keep doing what we're doing, and don't give up the second goal. And the game's there for us. And uh, it's been frustrating for sure um, because I think I felt like we've done a lot of good stuff and created a lot of good chances, and, and we just haven't gotten the, the roll of the ball, really. Uh, Mike, you, you finally were able to, to break through in the second half of a nice feed by Sasha, uh, slipping you in there. But right at the end of the first half, you had that, that scissor kick that looked like it was about to go in. We, we talked about it after the match, and Joe Bendick comes up with, uh, with an unbelievable save. Uh, j- just take us through that. Did, did you think that was going in? Because it looked like you, you really got all of it. Yeah, well, uh, Sasha put the ball across, and uh, you know I tried to get in front of uh, my defender, but I realized the flight of the ball was going to beat him, and, and my defender was uh, a shorter guy. So uh, once I realized the, the flight of the ball, I tried to get to the back of him, which I did. And uh, once the ball was up there, I knew all I had to do really, or all I could do really, was just make solid contact and try to get it on target. And uh, I was able to do that. And after I struck it and hit it far post and low, and I got pretty good contact on it, uh, I thought for sure that was good enough to surprise the goalkeeper <laughs> and and uh, and hit the back of the net, and um, you know, very surprised that he saved that, and it was uh, ended up being a great, great little reaction save that he made. Mike, it seems like the entire attack through the match on Sunday was down the right side virtually all day. Was was that by design? Uh, and I'm just kind of curious how your role changes when the attack goes down, seemingly the opposite side. I feel it's I feel it's it's uh, it's definitely not by design, but I feel like um, you know, when we're at our best, um, you know, Lloyd Sin really gets on the ball and really dictates play and can create a lot of things and drops deeper and 
and I think he can be quite dangerous in the ball, and a lot of stuff goes through him. He's a key player for our team. It also allows me to play more as a striker and play more as someone that can get close to the box and get on the end of crosses and, and be closer to the goal where I, you know, where I feel I'm probably uh, where my best attributes are. So I think um, you know, it's a good combination when that usually happens, but um, certainly not by design. And, and I think uh, when we're playing our best, um, I'm, I'm tilted a little closer to Brad and able to be more dangerous. I know you guys are probably sick of hearing all the questions about the lack of goal scoring and the attack not clicking, but three goals in the bag this week, so we can focus on some positives for once, which is nice. So take us through those goals. Take us through uh, your your goal to start it, uh, the second one, which you nearly put in, and uh, maybe tell us about uh, where Brad's taking you for dinner. I know uh, there, there was a little bit of a conversation there as to who uh, whose goal it actually was, so take us through that. Yeah, for the second goal... Um you know, Dax, I'm not sure if Dax had a bad touch or if he actually tried to pass me the ball, but he, um, the ball got to me in the box, and I just knew that there was a, there was going to be a soft spot back there. I knew where the ball needed to go, um, you know, and I just wanted to put it in a really, really dangerous area, which uh, it looked like it was going in. But, uh, you know, Bradley, Bradley Wright Phillips there has to, has to uh, put his foot on it for sure and make sure that, it's, uh, that it gets to the back of the net because... Um, you know, it's it's a fifty fifty thing. I mean, even looking at it in slow motion, you you can't really tell. Um, you know, it looks like maybe it may hit the inside of the post and go in, but you can't really tell. So he he ha- he did he does the right thing there and and you know gets off the mark and then gets a second one shortly after. So so I'm very pleased for him. I was very pleased with the team, pleased for myself, and and uh, ended up being a really really good uh, set piece um, for us and and. Uh, yeah, Brad and I still haven't to, haven't uh, decided what he's going to do for me yet, but we'll figure it out tomorrow and train for sure. <laughs> you know, post game, Mike, you said that it feels like we're back. So, how does the club build on the win? You guys got a long way to go before you can say you're a winning club in 2016, and you guys have a tough assignment coming to town this this weekend in Dallas. Yeah, I think when we're at our best, and when we, you know, when we. Uh, are playing well. I think you know we we don't have to worry too much about the other teams. I think it's all about us. And uh, when, when we're playing well and and on our day, uh, I think we you know we are the best team in the league. So so listen, uh, you know humbly speaking, uh, of course. But you know I think Dallas coming to town is a huge matchup for us. We, I feel like we're we're going to get this thing rolling, and I feel like we can be very dangerous again Friday night. Um, I think the key for this season and the key for you know, winning championships, if you look at any team through the history of the game, it's always been built sort of, you know, defensively first and through the back, being solid, being hard to play against. And um, I think uh, slowly but surely we're getting that right as well. But I think for us this season, Friday night, uh, moving forward, the key will definitely be to, um, you know, defend better as a group. One of the the matches that you guys did defend incredibly well as a group was that scoreless draw last season in Dallas. And at the time, both teams were in first place in their respective divisions. And folks were talking about the game almost as if it might have been an MLS Cup preview. Um, What do you remember from that game? I mean, they have so many young, quick attacking players. What do you recall from that game in uh, in Frisco last year? Absolutely. A lot of good players, a lot of talented guys, quick uh quick, sharp, clever players and, and very technical players. Um, and, you know, sort of similar to Orlando. You know, Orlando likes to play uh, a lot of good, quick, talented players. And 
So uh, I think we've seen a bit of what Dallas can do. Uh, the game last year, for sure, was uh, a battle between two very good teams, and we were very cautious of one another, which is uh, how it led to the to the nil-nil draw. But um, you know, for sure, we need to be ready in, for every aspect. And they're a very good team. Uh, they were great last season. They're they're good again this season. So um, you know, we'll be ready for whatever they have to bring us. But for sure, like I said earlier, I think when uh, when we're playing well, when the fans are as great as they were on Sunday night, um, and, and when that atmosphere gets going at Red Bull Arena, I think it's a tough place for any team to come and, and, and uh, get a result. All right, now, Mike, we're in the seventh season of Seeing Red right now, so we've done plenty of these shows, but we're going to debut a, a little bit of a new segment here. Hope you don't mind being our guinea pig. We're going to do some rapid-fire questions, so I'm just going to throw out uh, a couple of questions I came up with, just a, a quick answer, and uh, so we'll just keep it moving. Does that work for you? Uh, yeah, I'm terrible at this. I've tried it before, but uh, let's go for it. <laughs> All right, this could be a beautiful train wreck. Let's do it. All right, favorite team growing up? Juventus. Oh, man. This is a bad omen. Uh, who's the, the biggest, <laughs> biggest prankster on the team? I'm sorry? Biggest prankster on the team? Um, a bank. Who's your roommate on road trips? Salvador. What's your favorite non-Red Bull Arena venue in Major League Soccer? Uh, Seattle. If you weren't a pro soccer player, what would you be? A uh, professional golfer. <laughs> What's your uh, dream vacation spot? Spot. Italy, maybe somewhere in Ireland, off Italy. All right, I like it. So now my my Italian roots are going to come out because I'm going to move to uh, some Long Island food questions. So. Nice. Would you prefer a bacon, egg, and cheese or a sausage, egg, and cheese? Sausage, egg, and cheese. What kind of bagel? Everything. Oh, that's a money move. Grandma slice or regular slice? Grandma. Nice. Tiramisu or cannoli? Tiramisu. My favorite. Best number 10 in Italian history? Alessandro Del Piero or Francesco Totti? Oh. I've got to go with Dalti, uh, even though I'm a big Juventus fan, but it's got to be Baggio, better than all of them. <laughs> Ooh, okay. All right. I like the little curveball there. Well, that, that's all I got. I think you did a pretty good job. That was not bad. I thought you yeah, did a right, very thanks, good job. Man. Thanks, yeah, before, it was better than I thought. Before we let you go, Mike, we have asked our fans on Twitter tonight, as we were getting ready to talk to you, if they had any questions for you. And uh, Jamie Carpe Diem on Twitter asked, what, why did you shave the beard? Why did I shave the beard? You know, I, I like to change it up. I, I like to, uh, especially, you know, the rough start that we had, I thought we maybe I'd shave it and get a clean get a clean shave going and get a fresh start going. And that was half the reason. But uh, the other half is that I also just like to, to, to change it up. And, you know, a, a small percentage of the reason in there also is uh, sometimes I'm lazy and I just don't want to shave. So the beard grows out. And then when I uh, get around to it, I, I end up shaving it. All right. All right. One more. This is from Silvana Cymbeline. On Twitter, what's the junkiest food you eat? Obviously, professional athlete, you got to take care of your body, but um, what's what's the, your guilty pleasure when you can uh, kind of let loose a little bit? Yeah, fresh Italian bread with uh, fresh mozzarella and uh, and um, mortadella and salami and stuff like that. All those are cured Italian meats and uh, mm. with some fresh mozzarella and fresh bread, that's pretty much as bad as it gets. And uh, yeah. Could get pretty bad sometimes in the off season, but uh, yeah, that's my uh, that's my go-to. I'd argue pretty good, but that's just me. 
I like it. I like it. Mike Grello wears number 13 for the New York Red Bulls. Mike, it's always a pleasure to check in with you. Best of luck against Dallas, and we'll talk to you down the road. All right. Sounds great, guys. Thanks. We've got more Sing Red coming at you after this short break. We'll be right back. You're listening to Seeing Red. We're back at Seeing Red, the New York Soccer Roundup. Uh, we talked about our back heel relationship coming to an end as uh, Trevor Hayward is closing back heel after this show. We'd like to thank him once again for everything that he's done to help make Seeing Red a success over the years. So thank you and best of luck, everything for Trevor. Third segment, your emails, seeingredny at gmail.com. I actually got some very nice letters asking for stickers, seeing red stickers, with the word please in the email. So I, I think you folks were listening. Thank you. We're very, very happy to send stickers to you. And uh, it's, uh, it's a pleasure. So here's Peter Knox, longtime writer, the listener to the show, says, Thank you, Masters of Sporting Pod. If only our Red Bulls were as consistently good at seeing red. Well done, sir. Other than hacking into Don Garber's scheduling computer to make every match this year a home game, how can we trick our Red Bulls into playing every match like they do when they're behind a goal at home? It was sheer force of will that vaulted us into the win on Sunday night, as luck has proven never to be on our side. Although I think you can argue that uh, we met staying on the field was fortunate. What did we do different in our first two wins that we haven't in our other losses behind the obvious? Also, when do we see our first draw? Rooting for a draw? Interesting. Thanks, Eric, for the reverse jinx. And, Mark, you got the four gold total right. Woohoo! So what went right, Eric, on Sunday night, and how can New York uh, replicate that once again? Well, I, I really think despite the results, uh, if you look at the course of the season, I think they've been fairly consistent uh, when you look at the way that, that these games have unfolded. Obviously, the one change in these two wins that we talk about is the finishing. So the finishing is there, but I, I still think even in this game, there were times where the defending was suspect. They had uh, some leaky moments, and, and it cost them. If they didn't have such a goal-scoring outburst, then they might be looking at one or no points. So I, I really think it, it was a, a pretty... A, a Red Bulls game. I mean, it was kind of more of the same, but this time Bradley got on the board. Mike uh, was able to create some, you know, create a lot more than he has. Sasha was pulling the strings in the midfield. Uh, I, I do think that, as Jesse said, it was probably their best game, so maybe they elevated their level. I think, especially in the case of Lloyd Sam, I think he was outright his best game of 2016 when a lot of people yes. were saying, you know, does he have it anymore or, or what have you. So th they definitely elevated their play. I think they were able to, to really take advantage of some space that Orlando was giving them. Uh, even though they, they did attempt to, to bunker in and, and try to do what a lot of teams have done, which is really give the Red Bulls no room, the Red Bulls still were able to find some of that room and, and pick apart Orlando and, and create a lot, of, a lot of open passes, as you mentioned, that stat that you know, the Red Bulls blew them out of the water in the, pass, in the attacking third in terms of passes. So that obviously helps, and of course the finishing is, is the end-all, be-all in MLS. Yeah, agree 100%. Uh, Bradley obviously had a lot to do with it. Here's Nick Farachi, a long-time listener, also in writer to the show. Hello, podcast heroes. We could be heroes. So even before the win last night, apparently this was written yesterday, I was not ready as somewhere to hit the panic button. Perhaps tempered expectation button may have been more appropriate for the upcoming season. Sure, it's possible that several months from now I'll be lifting the cup and laughing about when we were worried early in the year or things weren't going downhill, but I'm very cautious and hoping for such things. Since the drama of the match and exuberance will be a center of attention, probably yield some happy emails, I want to look at a different aspect, the refereeing. 
Here's the bottom line first. We know it's not okay in the eyes of the fans for the officials to be poor, but is it okay in the eyes of the league? If not, what is being done about it or what could be done about it? It seems to me that the officials last night were unforgivably bad. Calls were made incorrectly in favor of both teams. I read that Orlando's coach said after the game that Wiemetz foul should have been called, and I agree, meaning Nick agrees. And if they had it, they might have won the game. This actually made me laugh out loud because he glazed over the fact that the re- if the ref had squi- switched calls for two of their fouls, penalties, we would have been able to come out on top. Regardless of his omission, I agree with his point in part. I swear... I think the ref had to go over his linesman after Bradley's clearly offside goal to explain to him what offsides was, and that he needed to raise his flag when he sees it. They seemed confused about many of the calls they made, and there were some that didn't even make sense, aside from the ones that appear to be 100% incorrect. What is to be done? Thanks, as always. Um, I assure you that the league would prefer the refereeing to be consistent and fair on a weekly basis, Nick. Um, PRO, or the Professional Referees Organization, has been working tirelessly to improve the level of uh, the referees. Um, they have things like exchange programs with overseas refs. They have uh, constant video reviews on every call to make sure that people understand what they're doing. Um, they actually want to be good. So it's a challenge when you see a refing job as poor as we saw the other night. They were handballs in the box that weren't called. That certainly would have helped the Red Bulls' cause. But regardless of whether the goals, uh, the calls rather, would have helped New York's cause or not, you really just at the end of the day want the refs to be consistent and fair and right. I, I don't know what else can be done, but I'll tell you, we have J.R. Marufo coming into town this weekend to ref New York and Dallas, and today Dom Dwyer, who was basically mugged in the San Francisco box, la- uh, the San Jose box last week, tweeted to New York and Dallas to get ready, and Dwyer will clearly be fined. And good luck to them as uh, Marufo will go from West Coast to East to call this match. Yikes. I don't know if you... You have anything to add to that? Yeah, well, l- let me let me just start by saying that I think being a professional referee is probably one of the hardest jobs you can possibly Hard. do. I mean, your attention is constantly being pulled in a hundred different directions. You have to be responsible for anything and everything that goes on on the pitch. That being said, you really hope that they just get those calls that you can see in plain sight. Someone that that isn't necessarily a professional can see. Uh, he uh, emailer mentions the offside call on Bradley's first uh, goal that wasn't, and the fact that it kind of took you know a couple minutes for a play that everyone was kind of turning around and saying you know, he was offside, right? Like, what are we waiting for? And then you know we talk about Don Dwyer getting taken down in San Jose, which was uh, a, a clear penalty to me. Uh, Carl, we met. Uh, taking down Kyle Lahren. I think that's denial of a goal-scoring opportunity. Should have been sent off. Not a penalty. He was outside the box, but the fact that the whistle wasn't even blown. And, and not, not even so much the play that, we, you know, we talk about the, the, the two fouls that were missed or the, you know, the two whistles that should have been blown where Lahren was offside. That one I think I could even... I, I can reconcile with a little bit easier just because it's kind of a bang bang play. He wasn't, you know, it, it was it was a little bit closer than than maybe you you would think. But it, it's just those those ones that you you kind of scratch your head and you're saying 
these are obvious calls. Like, you just have to get these right because they really affect the game. And, and when the referees affect the game, it's always going to draw attention, and that's something that I think fans have a tough time swallowing. And I sure assure you that no referee wants to affect the outcome of a game. They don't. That's not why they're there. They're there to impartially adjudicate what's happening in front of them on the field. Let me ask you this. Let's go just uh, stretch this topic a little bit. Would you be in favor, Eric, of some sort of limited replay, whether it's determining whether uh, a foul was inside the box or out or, or offside, as, as long as it can be adjudicated in a quick manner? I don't see why not. I mean, we've seen it started to implement, I mean, even in my lifetime, where you know, I remember sports like baseball didn't have replay and all of a sudden it's kind of being implemented and, and there's the same cries of oh it's going to slow down the game it's going to ruin the game but at the well, end how of the about day you slow down baseball well, yeah there, there you go now they're, they're trying to, to to alleviate that but, it, but at the end of the day what do fans want what do players want to get the call right you want to get the call as correct as possible every single time because you want the game to be decided by the players in the field not by the man in the middle so if that requires taking you know to a two minute step away to you know call into the headquarters in new york and and just make sure that they get the call right i think it's worth the time it's not as if uh we don't see time wasting in soccer with guys you know sitting down in the field feigning injuries and stuff like that so to take a few minutes just to get the call right, I think it would go a long way. It doesn't need to be a long, drawn-out process, but getting the call right, obviously, is the most important thing. Agreed, 100%. Here's Glenn Fisher, who writes, The fullbacks have been a problem all season long, consistently leaving the wings exposed, leading to a lot of easy goals by the opposition. Can you please explain to me what Kamar Lawrence was trying to accomplish when he decided to go defend the middle of the field, leaving the left side of the defense exposed for the opening goal, and is Jesse doing anything to rectify the situation? Listen, Glenn... When you're playing the high press, you are susceptible to counterattacks. And Kamar, as much as we praise Kamar, and we do praise Kamar, and he had a fantastic 2015, uh, he went the wrong direction. And, and, and I don't believe that he was super confident that his colleagues were back and covering the guys behind him. And you make the wrong decision, and the, goal, the, the ball goes in the net. That's just kind of... What happened, but again, this is part of the game plan to ensure that New York is putting the biggest pressure on. And when you consider that it was the pressure by Sal Zizo in the second half that created the turnover that led to New York's first goal, there's a perfect example of why the fullbacks were pushed up so much. So you can't have the good without the bad. Eric, anything to add? Yeah, I mean, I, I think everyone kind of saw it on that first goal where I mean, I'm, I'm watching Kamar push up the left flank as he does with with regularity, and th- then he's out of position on the counter. I'm saying, Kamar, Kamar, like where where are you where are you going? Yeah, where, where are you at? You know, it was more of the same in terms of the, that early goal being conceded. But I think that's as you alluded to, that's kind of part of of the way that this team plays in the high press. The center backs are asked to push up very high. Uh, the wing backs really get forward. So uh, it's just a matter of decision-making, I think. And I think Kamar just flat-out made the wrong decision. Uh, I don't think that means he's a bad player. I don't think that means that they necessarily need to make a huge tactical adjustment. I think that in that particular moment, he made the wrong call. He shouldn't have been pushing up so high. He got pulled out of position, and Orlando did very well to take advantage. But uh, it's something that I, I can guarantee you will be highlighted in the film session coming up this, uh, this week at practice. Kyle Lahren has four goals against the Red Bulls in two games. Yeah, he's, he's pretty uh, good. He's all right. Actually, two and a half, I guess, because he, he was given the red card in the first game last summer. Uh, Mike Goolsby writes, hey, guys, real quick. Real quick. Call we met needs to go. 
Every time the kid touches the ball, I get nervous. He got lucky last night with that no call and should be sitting Friday night. As for the attack, I'm sure I speak for everyone in red saying, about time. I'm already certain the Red Bulls take all the points Friday night against Dallas. Why? Because Sasha Kleschen. That man is a machine, and he didn't give up any on uh, on any play at any point in the match last night. He will lead us to victory this Friday. I'm worried about Orlando City on the road and DCU on the road. Make me feel better. Make Mike feel better. Hmm. Make you feel better? We just got three points. So come on. <laughs> And Bradley scored two goals. Everything's good, don't you hear? That's pretty good. It's good. They're certainly good until Friday, for sure. Um, listen, as per Carl, we met. Carl is a young player, and he certainly had a good first half hour, and then things kind of went south on him. So to say that he is summarily, what is the word? He needs to go every time he touches the ball, get nervous. You also have to remember, and not strictly about we met. New York is was currently at one point was missing their top three center backs, right? In Perinel, Zubar, and Ba. And only one of them, Zubar, has returned. And I thought he played pretty decently on Sunday night. We didn't really talk about Zubar a whole lot uh, tonight. Almost had a goal. As did we met. Both of them put headers over the bar that, with a little sharper finishing, could have, uh, in essence, ended the game a lot earlier. In any case, um, New York, not every team has to you know, rely on their fourth choice uh, starting center back, and we met has certainly been thrust into the role. He has played well in spurts. He did not have a great second half, but c'est la vie. So thank you for your note. Lastly, here's Chris Mullen. First, the praise. A huge thank you to you, Mark, Eric, and those who have hosted in the past. Not only have you made being a Red Bulls fan more enjoyable while waiting for the next game with excellent insight, great interviews, I didn't write this, and calmness in the face of every impending doom scenario, you have helped build the foundation of what an excellent soccer podcast is for all those following in your footsteps. Well, that is some quality sucking up. That's how you do it. Take notes, guys. Well done. You get a bowl of the week just for that. That was beautiful. As for a question, what do you think the Red Bull? I'm going to frame that. That was terrific. And now for the question, what do you think the Red Bulls should seek out more during the summer transfer window or even beforehand? I can't really do that. A veteran's uh, center back to lead the back line or a forward to complement BWP and Verone? Zubar has not been the leader expected let alone his injury history, and Damien is still a while away from being game fit. At the same time, I feel it's clear we need another pure forward in that works in the 4-2-2-2 in case the offense sputters again or if BWP over own aren't available. Enter Alex Mule. Of course, there is a need for both, but if you were Ali, what would you prioritize? Thanks again for all you do, and good luck with the new segment Eric mentioned, with Grella that uh, Eric mentioned. The, the, the fans, they, they pay attention. Love it. They I love it. They really tuned in. And we, and we hope you liked it. I thought it was terrific. I love Rapid Fire. I think we have to make that a staple. Okay. Um, who would you go for? Well, you know, clearly, um, I, I think the Miroslav Klosa talk has kind of calmed down, hasn't it? That was like a day and a half of intense uh, focus on that one player, but I haven't heard a whole lot since then. Um, but, uh, you know... Certainly a healthy center back 
that is quality is certainly something that every team would like to have. I think we have to actually see Gideon Ba and see what he can do over a longer stretch than how, how let's let's check this out. Just how many times has Ba played? He hasn't played that many. Was it three starts, two starts? Hold on. We're going and checking as we well, speak. Well, I believe he got hurt in that Houston match, right? So it would be three three games? Let's see. We're going to the stat sheet right now. Ba, 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 ba. Yes, he, right. Three games, three starts, that's it. So given that we're eight games into the season now and we've been without Ba for more than half of those, I think it only goes to, to show that we really actually need to see a little bit more of his body work. That said... I, I, given the young talent that New York has, uh, we've seen flashes from Alex Mule. Brandon Allen hasn't really seen the field yet, and we know that he can do some wonderful things. So the notion of rushing out and getting um, an international star, a third DP right now, where you have Bradley, hopefully, which will be sort of a trend to heat up and Verone coming back. Uh, I don't know. I'm, I, I would vote for, if, if anything, uh, a center back. How about you, sir? Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with you there. I'm, I'm no Ali Curtis, but in my humble opinion, I, I think it's I think it's easy when you look at the Red Bulls so far. Uh, you know, if you look before this Orlando match and you say, "Well, we're not scoring and we're conceding a hell of a lot," so which way do we go? Uh, but when when you look at the attack, uh, I think you know you still have Bradley Wright Phillips who who is maybe getting back on track. You have Gonzalo Verón who is basically going to feel like a new signing because we've really only seen bits and pieces. So a healthy Verone adds a completely different dimension. And then you have Anatola Bong, who's proven to be a, a nice player that can give you a spot starter or come off the bench. We're seeing the emergence of Alex Mule. So we're, we're definitely... We, yeah, you know, we're seeing a lot of pieces that can come in and contribute on the offensive end. But when you look defensively, uh, especially at some of these injury concerns, you wonder if there's enough cover. And, and I think long term, uh, if the Red Bulls were to make a move, that it makes more sense defensively to try to shore up the back line, uh, where that there's maybe a little bit more question marks lurking. Whereas I, I think as as much as the offense has been sputtering at times and, and hasn't fired in all cylinders, I think that's more uh, of a sure thing than the defensive end is. Yeah, agree, agree 100%. Um, New York, again, is playing Friday night, Friday night, at 7 p.m. at Red Bull Arena. The match will be on Unimas. If you cannot make the match, and for some reason, watching in Spanish is not your bag baby, please consider tuning in to Red Bull's radio on TuneIn. Uh, those that are super savvy and even those that are not so savvy can find a way to sync up your television with the great call of our friend Matt Harmon along with Steve Jolly who is also our friend, been on the show and you can listen to live radio from inside Red Bull Arena as you can for any game uh, this season all on the TuneIn app so we encourage you to do that uh, any closing uh, closing shots before we finish this one up, sir? Not all hail the reverse jinx. I hope you all hail the reverse. Hope jinx. you all yep. enjoyed rapid fire. Something we might start to integrate into uh, future shows. Maybe get some feedback on Twitter and email. Let us know how we did. But other than that, we'll uh, we'll see you on Friday. Hopefully. Yeah, we'll see you on Friday. We hope you have a great weekend. We'd like to thank Mike Grella for being our guest tonight, and we'd like to thank you for listening. For Eric Giacometti, I'm Mark Fishkin saying thank you so much for listening to this episode of Seeing Red, number 252. Thanks, Trevor. Have a good night, everyone. Thanks for listening to Seeing Red. Since 2010, your New York Red Bulls podcast. 
find us at New York Red Bulls Radio at TuneIn, BackHill.com, iTunes, Stitcher, and SeeingRedNY.com.